Welcome to It's Mercedes, honest conversations for freedom-minded women. I'm your host, Mercedes, founder of Libertas Sisters. In every episode, I invite a guest to discuss topics such as femininity, relationships, the culture war, self-reliance, politics, and freedom. And let's be honest, whatever else I'm in the mood for. So pop in those headphones, pour yourself a beverage, and settle in. Let's get this episode started. Today, I am so excited to catch up with my dear friend, Tiffany Poe. She is a powerhouse, mother, entrepreneur, culinary expert, educator. Seriously, like the list of her accolades is kind of extensive and long. I'm so proud to call her friend. We've known each other for nine years. And in that time, we've maintained communication, but we've had many life changes. Specifically, we're going to kind of talk about how Tiffany has managed some unexpected challenges, one that many of us have been living with, the pandemic of course. And by refocusing and combining her expertise, life experience, and passion is embarking on a new adventure. And I believe that her story will resonate with many of us as we're all having to overcome unexpected challenges. So Tiffany, I, of course, I love you so much. I'm so excited that you're here. (laughs) Can you believe that we've known each other for nine years? Like I did the math. That's crazy. It's just crazy. We actually met during my culinary schooling time. She was an instructor and I was at the school and we connected through that. If you can just introduce yourself a little bit and kind of let everybody know a little bit about you. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm excited to join you. Like when you, when you messaged me, I was like, yes, let's get together. It'll just be a great, a great catch up for the last nine years. And when you told me that I was like, is, are you serious? Nine years? Like that's like almost a decade. Like we're getting old, except we're not, we're like 21 in our minds. Right. So shut up, right? No, in my mind, I'm 21, but my body is 41. And I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? (laughs) Anyway, it's been crazy, but what a perfect time to reconnect with all the wonderful things happening in our lives. Tell me a little bit about like your background, like, cause I know you've been an educator. You've also did some entrepreneurial dabbling on top of that. You're a mother that's managing multiple children. (laughs) It's so just true. give us like a quick synopsis on that. Well, um, I spent most of my 20s, 30s um, in in culinary, just all kinds of food. Like food was my language. Um, I met my husband in high school and we we got married when I was in junior college. And I was kind of focused on like pre-med track. Like I loved biology. I loved science fair. And it was about the only thing in my little podunk high school that I went to in North or, Northeastern rural Oklahoma that you could really do like for a career. I never thought of culinary arts. There was no like chefs in my life. Anyway, I never thought of being a chef, but when I was in junior college, I needed a job. And the, the best place to work in town was the local casino because they paid you like eight bucks an hour, which sounds like peanuts now, but then you also got to keep your tips. Right. And so I was like, man, I can do that. I can be a server. Well, I went to apply for the job and the chef there was from New York, like New York city. And he came out and he interviewed me and he asked me some food questions, which I knew. And he was like, you're with me tonight in the kitchen. And I was like, no, no, I want to be like a server. Like, so long story short, he kind of took me under his wing and trained me. And, um, I was the only like girl in the kitchen. And after the first night of like knives and fire, and there was lots of cussing and I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. And I was kind of hooked. It was like a drug, except, you know, I was the little, you know, traditional church girl who, uh, didn't curse, didn't do anything of any, you know, any ill will. And I was kind of like this sore thumb in the kitchen, but I fell in love with it. And he's the one who encouraged me to go to culinary school. And that's kind of how it all started. So you went to the CIA and then you also taught over at Oklahoma state. Correct. Correct. Once you guys got settled in, you and your family ended up purchasing an Airbnb on top. Not an, I keep seeing an Airbnb. It's it a is now. Bread and breakfast. <laughs> 
I know, right? A bed and breakfast, correct? We did, yeah. So I spent the next like 20 years after culinary school teaching junior college, private college. I taught in prison for eight years. I taught Oklahoma State. But in that middle short gap, I met a lady named Marie Drummond. And I met her through a kind of a crazy scenario. Her best friend was our homeschool director. So we've always been kind of the crunchy granola folks that have been homeschoolers before it was popular, before the pandemic. And when I met these students in my teaching career that had been homeschooled, and they just had this little different, like, je ne sais quoi. They had this little, like, antenna, sixth sense going on that they had the, like, articulation of a 30-year-old and the common sense of, like, a 30-year-old. But they were in these 16, 17-year-old bodies. And I was just, in, in like, enamored with their skills because... Because I had high schoolers, I had junior, I had um, adult students in my class, and then I had these homeschoolers. So I was enamored. So I was like, I'm homeschooling my kids. before you had children? Yes, before I had children. Okay. These kids inspired you to homeschool. Yes. And then that's how I met Reed Drummond. And so everything in our lives connect, right? It's like all the all the boxes touch touch each other. And it's always amazing what comes out of the boxes and start to get to know each other, right? And so we moved to Tulsa from the farm and we met Reed Drummond through a mutual friend. And that's what started kind of this little intermediate session of working for the Food Network for five years, filming with her. That's when you and I met. That's when we did all this crazy yeah. food media projects that kind of launched us into areas that were like in Oklahoma. Are you kidding me? So we got to work with all these cool people. <clears throat> and then after like 500 versions of coleslaw, I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I, and I had also finished 500 versions of coleslaw. <laughs> I think I was sitting there one day and I'd been working on my master's degree in the background, you know, having babies, getting master's degrees, like working for Reed Drummond. It was crazy. It was awesome. Loved her, loved the whole thing. But I was sitting there working on another variation of coleslaw one day. And I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is crazy. So a friend of mine had called me from Oklahoma state and said, we'd like you to come open this big facility that we're getting ready to launch. Why don't you come work for us? So I kind of saw that as my out, you know, like my out with integrity. Cause what do you do after you work for Reed Drummond? Like, you're like, okay, now what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was funny. Cause I went through the same, like I worked alongside you during that time. And at, your thing was coleslaw. My thing was like, I can't wrap anything else in bacon. Right? I have to find as much as I loved it. All of us have to come to a situation kind of like redirect my, your skills mm -hmm. with something to move on to your next venture. So I know that you went and taught over Oklahoma state. You started up that whole project over there. And at the same time you had how many children when you bought the bed and breakfast? So we bought the bed and breakfast with three kiddos. We lived in the attic for four years. I mean, we totally like scrapped it. Like it was super scrappy, super, like we bought the house we opened it to the Food Network crew to stay with us. And then the, like two weeks after they left, we opened it as a bed and breakfast. And that was like 10 years ago. So we we went yeah. super scrappy. Like we had three kids. It was like a big slumber party in the attic of the bed and breakfast. And then all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, what are we doing? This is crazy. And it was no longer fun after like the fourth kid and the fifth kid. So anyway, it just, at some point we we're like, this isn't going to work forever, but it was really fun while it got started. Right. So, and then I started working for Oklahoma state, opened a big facility for them. Fast forward all that. Everything's going well. Steven's running the B&B. &B. We're having baby, um, baby number six. And, uh, you know, we'd walk through some trials. Um, when I was working with Ree, I, I had one of my, um, my children went to be with, with the Lord, went to be with Jesus. It was, it was a very sad situation. 
Um, he had a knot in his cord at 36 weeks and was stillborn. And so that kind of just rocked our world. We had said four, four, no more. And then all of a sudden our baby went to heaven. And so we're, we're kind of like in this, this shock and awe time in our life where we, we didn't really know what to do. And it's interesting how those things that you walk through prepare you for what you are going to do in the future and you don't know it yet. But that was the time in our life where you, you knew me during that time. And that was, that yeah, was a crazy- I, we had just moved to Texas. I think you were pregnant with Ryan. Yes. Um, and I remember being in Galveston with Obed when I got your text message about what had happened, yes. which like broke my heart and everything. And then I think we, I think maybe like a week later, we were at a conference, weren't we or something like oh that? Oh my goodness. Like, I forgot about that. Yeah. I totally, yeah. It just popped into my head. And I remember telling you, you do not have to come and you, I think you took it as like a little bit of a recovery time. I mean, you were at the conference, but I think you used it more as like sort of like a recovery and morning time, which was, I think is because you already had it planned. Yeah, I had it planned. And it was like a couple of weeks after he had passed. And when, you know, when something like that happens, you know, people swarm in and they want to take care of you and it's all good. And I remember looking at a few of my, my buddies there in Pahuska and said, I just need to get out of town. Like I, I'd already had that trip planned to be with you and be with Ree and all these friends. And I really was going more to like learn about the whole culture. Cause I had kind of fallen into this, like chefs don't read blogs, but I was in this blogger world. And then all of a sudden I'm like enamored with it. And I thought, Oh, this is really cool. I'll go learn. And I remember you and Rebecca and several people were just so kind, but I used it as an escape because you know how it is when you're a professional woman and you're just constantly doing things. And then all of a sudden your emotions get rocked you go to the default of like what you do professionally because that's your that's your fix that's your vibe right that's your that's your strength factor and so i found so much strength by being able to go and hang out with really strong women and really you know compassionate women also but also also just to get my mind off of what had happened i remember that now i forgot we went down to Texas. yeah i well when you were talking about it i was kind of replaying the time in my head. I'm like, holy crap. She went to a conference afterwards. I just remembered that. Yeah. And it was very therapeutic. You blogger people are like really therapeutic people. So, (laughs) well, you know, we love you so much. (laughs) It's like checking up on you and everything. Especially I remember the last time that you announced that you were pregnant with Solomon. Uh, I'm like, Tiffany's having another baby. Oh my goodness. So (laughs) yeah. Fast forward to that. I was, um, I really, I think that's what I feel realized I needed like a whole nother life change. Like I was like, okay, I got to go do something else with my life. Right. So that's kind of where the OSU and the teaching, I'd always love teaching and I didn't have anybody to pour into, you know how it is. You got to have an audience to pour into and then you got to have, yeah, you're definitely, I mean, as long as I've known each other, we, and, <laughs> and we're close friends, but we could not be more opposite in that you are definitely an extrovert who like gains your energy from like giving and pouring out. And I'm much more of an introvert mm-hmm. that I like get completely worn out when I do that sort of thing. So it always impresses me how I'm like, where are her batteries? Like what, <laughs> where is she hiding? <laughs> what them? voltage is she working at? Right. I now? have a Tesla battery so, in, the, like, in the, in the garage. I just plug into it. I, I, I believe that you are consistently and always charged. So we got, you get to, um, Oklahoma state and you're teaching there. And of course you have the Airbnb, the oh, I'm calling it an Airbnb. That's okay. Right? Call it whatever you want. You <laughs> keep saying that it's like the default. It's like what everybody says now, instead of just saying like the bed and breakfast. And then unfortunately during this time, you, you also had another property next to the bed and breakfast that you guys were renovating. Is that correct? Yeah. We had bought the B and B we renovated it. We live in the attic and 
we actually, the house next door was this beautiful old 1920s house, but it had been a kind of a charity that Rhea and Lad had owned. And I called her one day and I was like, I need to buy this house from you because I need to fix it up and live in it. I can't like live in the attic anymore. And so she said, okay, great. I'll sell it to you. Blah, blah, blah. That was done. We started renovating it. We got pregnant again. It was like, we kept, you know, every time we added a new season of our life, we added another baby. And so we're in the middle of it. It's all going good. And then, um, I was actually traveling, traveling for Oklahoma state during that time. And I was on my last business trip before baby was due. And Steven calls me and he says, um, he said, mom and dad were in a car wreck today. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, are they okay? What hospital are, are they in? And he's like, no, they're gone. And I was like, what do you mean they're gone? He's like, they're, they're, they're gone. They both died. And I was like, no, like, so I'm sitting in this bathroom in the middle of Napa, Valley, California, you know, crying eight and a half months pregnant. And my, my husband's parents had been in this horrible car accident. And so they were gone and I flew home that night, you know, got a red eye out and got back home. And we, we, we went through the, the ceremony and everything and it was all over. And we were just sitting there like, did this really happen? This is crazy. Like we kept waiting for them to show back up. Like they were these, these incredible people in our lives that were always, they were helping us renovate the house. That's actually where they were headed that day was out to see us. So the, the guilt, the emotion, obviously being pregnant, you know, the, the fact that they were gone, they were just gone. And so we, we sat there like, you know, this we've, we've gone through loss, but this is, this is a different kind of loss. Like this is, this is a stability loss, you know, where we, we feel kind of like, like, like the ground was kind of knocked out from under you because they, I know you guys were very close, but they were like a stabilizing force in your family. Mm -hmm. And to have someone so unexpectedly taken away from you during a vulnerable time for you because you're pregnant. And on top of that, they're on their way to help you out. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine the difficulty of having to process that, you know, and then, I mean, I can't, I've had to deal with loss of my husband's father when he passed Mm -hmm. away and my husband's family, but it was a little more expected because he was sick. You know, um, and I am always fascinated when you have to encounter uh, a loss, the different degrees. I mean, a loss is always devastating, but there are different degrees of, of loss when it's someone that dies at 96 years old versus someone who is suddenly succumbed to cancer in a matter of six months versus somebody who dies in a car accident when they were completely healthy and on the way to come and visit you. Right. So it's, it's, you're yeah. right. There are the, all these different facets of loss and it's all of them have an equal, you know, play in your heart and your, and your, the way that you process, but it's, it's like, you, you get, they, they all, they could almost represent different pillars in our life. Right. It was like, this was a pillar that just got slammed out and then the the roof fell in kind of thing. Yeah. And so that's where it's like, okay, what do we do with this? Right. Uh, you know, you, that's when you throw questions up to heaven and you're like, really right now, like, like, this is not what we talked about. Right. And so like I, we don't have enough stuff. Yeah. Going on. Could, could like the, the timing was not good with this. Could we, could we talk about that for a second? God and I are always having those conversations where it's like, excuse me, this is not what we talked about. Um, of course, you know, it, it's always an interesting response, but anyway, so, so he, so Stephen and my husband and I kind of process through that and we, we get through it and then um, we kind of start going on with life again. Right. You just have to pick up and move on. And um, 
we were headed to Thanksgiving and the baby wasn't due until December. We were all excited, you know, and I had noticed that he was a little different personality of a baby than what my other babies had been. And I didn't think much of it. You know, I was really busy. I was running the program at Oklahoma State. I had like, you know, 300 students, had like 100 employees. I was like, you know, just make it happen. I was just being Chef Poe, right? And I, I went for an ultrasound uh, the day before we were prepping to do Thanksgiving. And the technician says, there's something wrong. She said, there's, there's like a lot of fluid on his body. And we were like, what do you mean there's something wrong? That's the last thing you want to hear, right? Yeah, that's not exactly how you want to have your pre, one of your natal visits go. No, I'm like, like, girlfriend, I have a turkey in the, in the back. Like we're, we've got to get ready for Thanksgiving. Well, she's like, no, you need to go to the hospital and get like a second opinion. So we did, we went to the, to the big hospital here in Tulsa that has a children's uh, facility. And they, sure enough, they confirm, they're like, yeah, he's really sick. He has something that they call high drops and you need to like be delivered immediately. And so I've had this in my mind. I'd already had a water birth. I'd had all these like crunchy granola birth, you know, experiences in my background. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. Like he's, we can't like, obviously I wanted him to be as healthy as possible. But in my mind, I had, I had already prepared myself mentally for this other thing. And well, it's not only that, but do you find yourself like, are you challenged sometimes with you have an expectation and a plan? And if the plan does not go, do you find yourself, are you someone that like, I have a plan, I'm sticking to the plan. The plan is a go. Or you're like, well, I have a general outline of how things are going to go. And if something changes, it's okay. Where would you put yourself in what category would you put yourself? Well, I'm an Enneagram eight with a wing of three and seven. So if that tells you anything, I actually recently did an Enneagram just because I had a girlfriend and she was like really into it. Oh yeah. I'm, you know, I'm actually the opposite of you. I am not crunchy. I am not like (laughs) with a lot of feelings or anything like that. You know what I mean? But I also popped up as an Enneagram. I could have predicted that. Oh yes. Oh yes. I could have predicted that. And I don't remember what my wings were, but I also popped up as we just challenge everything, which is why we're so perfect in the roles we're in because it's like, Oh, you want to talk? Let's, I can challenge you. Let's do that. So that's, and that's why a lot of women that are eights are, are naturally gravitated to culinary and to being a chef, because it allows you to form an autonomy within your discipline and your profession, which is interesting, isn't it? Um, And you can challenge everything. You can, you can ask questions and you can be, you know, you can challenge the authority. So I think I've always been. So you get challenged with your birthing plan, not going to plan. Exactly. Right. But also being like Tiffany, your baby, like, come on. And so I, we found ourselves in the hospital, like completely, you know, vulnerable and, um, got took over. And when I say that, I mean, we're, we're faith people. We have our, everything we do in our life is, is comes from a compass of of faith and from our relationship uh, with God. And it, it just, God took over and we could not have asked for a more seamless, beautiful transition. Now he was really sick. He almost died. I don't want to negate that. It was, he had a 5% chance of survival when he was born. And so we went into that scenario, not knowing, not having Stephen's parents there, not having, my mother was a uh, incredibly talented uh, nurse. She had been like a pediatric nurse, a mental health nurse. She had just been like a nurse for 20 years. And so I'm like, of all the times I needed her in my life. Right. And so um, our little boy Israel was born and he was rushed to the NICU and I was sitting there on the operating bed thinking, this is not, this is not my story. This cannot be happening to me right now. And I was, you know, I was taken to recovery and Stephen went with the baby and long story short, I remember going back into the hospital room after I had gotten, uh, was, I called the doctor and I was like, I got to get out of this bed. Like, what do I have to do? He's like, well, you have to use the bathroom and you have to have like, you have to have these things checked off and then you can leave. 
And I'm like 24 hours out. I'm like, I got to get out of this hospital room, like whatever it takes. So I got up, got dressed, took a shower, used the bathroom, fixed my hair, put on my fake eyelashes, called the doctor back in. I was like, dude, I'm ready to go. And he looked at me and he was like, okay, I have no legal. You're like, you have set a goal for me and I will accomplish this goal. Right. So I left, I took my, my, my bedpan and I left and I was like, I got to go see my son. And, um, I walked in and he was so connected to things. And so just in a place of like, well, he looked, he looked like an alien. It was just crazy. And I looked at him and I was like, that can't be my baby. There was nothing that happened in the birthing process for there to be an attachment. And then when I saw him, I was like, that can't be my baby that, that I know I had a baby, but like, that can't be him. He was so attached to everything. It was just crazy. So I, I couldn't even touch him. That's how, that's how sick he was. And so that started a journey that lasted 92 days where it was like literally every day we were fighting for his life. And so, um, it just, you know, it changes you when you walk through something that's like you, you have no control over it. And that, I think that was the hardest thing for me. I went from being in charge of all these things and having, you know, feeling like you have some kind of handle on what happens on your day-to-day reality of your life to being completely vulnerable and having no control over anything that happens in your life and being thrown into this situation where you literally have to be like on your knees pleading with, you know, with God to, to save your baby. And well, so and then, from, you know, mentioning dreams, right? Yeah. And then one of the things that I know that for a long time, you guys in regards to health insurance were independent and you only had like catastrophic coverage, mm-hmm. but this time you were over at the college. So you had co- like full, you had insurance at the time, correct? Right. Yeah. When you're a serial entrepreneur, you have to figure your own thing out, obviously on insurance and it's always really expensive and it's never ideal. And so you just have to carry like whatever you can afford. Right. But this scenario in my life, I was like, oh my gosh, thank God I had amazing, you know, coverage. And because I worked for the university, I had really great um, coverage. In fact, one of the best policies in the state. And so I could just almost be at like ease that everything was going to be taken care of. I was on a paid maternity leave. I was on this. So you, you feel so grateful for those scenarios, especially when you don't have them in your career sometimes. And you're so grateful for that. But then at the same time, it has these dependency to it too, where you're like, oh my gosh, this is, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for this, but at the same time, like I'm completely dependent on this too. And so, you know, talking both ways, it's, it's just very humbling in a lot of ways to be in that situation. And so, um, good news that he, he did really well. He continued. Well, and he, he looks great. Like I see pictures of him all the time. He's absolutely adorable. I love his haircut, by the way, because oh, he's so man. like his little like mohawk situation is so cute. <laughs> he's got his own personality going on. <laughs> but we left. We left with the tank of oxygen and we left with the feeding tube. But by golly, we left. And I told the doctor that when he first came in, I was like, dude, we're leaving. We're leaving this hospital. And he looked at me like, no, your son is like two shakes away from death. I'm like, no, you don't understand. And so it was a battle on a lot of levels. It was a physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, and all kinds of other battles. But it was, it was one that now we get to tell and talk about because um, to this day, he's still the only baby with high drops who also has Down syndrome, who also has like all these other things that's ever left the hospital. And so it's, it's kind of a miracle. Like it went from 5% to like, Oh no, I'm going to live my life and show all of you that it can be done. And so, and I know that for you, your faith had to have a huge part of that entire journey and just having that strength to kind of like navigate through something like that mm. too. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. There was, there were so many moments downstairs in the chapel where I, God and I were having a very heated discussion. And, um, I like to think that I won, but I didn't, um, it was more of like, are you done throwing your little fit yet? Like, are you done? Like, are you going to trust me? And for real, that's, that's pretty much the whole 92 days. It was a battle of trust. Like, are you going to give into fear and are you going to trust what you see in front of you? You know, which could be a whole nother blog, blog, you know, or a whole nother podcast. Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to trust what you see in front of you? Or are you going to trust the underlying truth in the situation, which is that I have you and I'm going to do what I, I, what I do in your life. And I'm going to take you to places that you can't see right now. And I'm going to heal your son. So anyway, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said about that. That could be a whole nother conversation, but that's the biggest battle we usually face is, am I going to give into the fear that I could give into that's right in front of me that looks very real and very evident and like a big boogeyman, or am I going to say, no, that's not what we're doing. Instead, we're going to settle and we're going to look at the truth. We're going to look at very, very solid foundational principles that have been around a lot longer than we have. And am I going to tap into that faith that says that this is not where I have to be long-term? And so, yeah, so that's, that's a whole nother, there was a practice session for what was coming. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I exactly. Cause that was about to say, cause Israel is a huge part of where you ended up. Um, so it was very important to share his story and how yes. he came into the world. But now like you've, you've had him, you're at the college and 2020 happens. The oh infamous God. year of, ni- <laughs> I was about to say of 1920. <laughs> right. It feels like it was back in the day, right? Like that's when you start, like you realize you're kind of on the other side of it or, but you're not when you start yeah. referring it to like the 19 whatevers. <laughs> I know. It's just, I think we've all been a little traumatized by anything from 2020. And honestly, it's just continued to move its way through, but everything starts to shut down. So you have your teaching, you have the bed and breakfast, you are remodeling this house next door that you guys are living in, correct? Mm -hmm. Because you're living in it while you're updating it. You've had this baby with all of these, you know, challenges and a pandemic decides to hit. <laughs> right. Well, 2019 was was super pivotal because my mentor left the university, the gentleman who had really mentored me and called me there and gave me carte blanche and had really just, just developed a season of my professional career that I will always you always just cherish because he gave me the opportunity to really do what I, what I'm, what I'm gifted in. Yeah. I've always had these incredibly eccentric male mentors in my life. I've had like Reed Drummond, which is like, you know, this epitome of motherhood and, and business and all these things. And then I have had all these eccentric male mentors in my life, but I'm like, how did I get, how did I get to be mentored by you? So, um, things change up at Oklahoma state, right? Yes. Things change right up. Before. He leaves. I'm kind of like had it with the same old thing. Like it's, it goes back to this. You can't really create models that align with who you are personally, unless you create them yourself. Like you can play in other people's models for a while. And I thought that this teaching at Oklahoma state or teaching at the university level would be this like incredible experience. And it was in so many ways, but it was also an institution that was founded on very old principles that don't make any sense. And there's a lot of ship that is really hard to redirect or, you know, move around. There's just, there's a lot of rules that don't make sense. Uh And it reminds me a lot of government in many ways, because there's a lot of bureaucracy, but then anybody who shows up and wants to change it, like they didn't know what to do with me. I'm like this crazy woman with lots of energy who has, you know, industry experience, but also has this educational credibility 
who has like a million children and wants to argue with everybody because they don't know what they're talking about. They haven't actually had real jobs in like 25 years. And then I go in and show them like a new way of doing it, which the students love. And so they had no idea what to do with me. They just, and I knew I wasn't going to be there a long time, which they could not wrap their head around why I would not want to spend 25 years there and retire on the pension and all these things. I was like, no, I have a job. I'm here to do it. I will be training my replacement and then I'll be on to my next project. And that like scrambled their academic brain. Like they did not know what to do with that at all. Funny. <laughs> it was, it was really funny, but my mentor got it. Like he was a businessman. He understood me. Oh, okay. So let me, let me make sure I word this correctly. Cause like, nobody's like, would you say the pandemic was a good thing? Like, that's not what I'm saying. What oh, I'm yeah. saying, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, did with the pandemic happening and then you ended up, you're at an academic institution, which they cut classes. You can't really do any kind of cooking courses or anything like that through Zoom. No, so, so I wasn't actually at the university when the pandemic hit. So I left the university okay. and was offered a job through um, a corporate partner. So I was actually, went back to corporate world. I, I saw my exit strategy and doctor, my, my mentor had left. I saw my exit strategy from the university because it's kind of hard. Like after you've done that, like what else do you do? Right. So one of my corporate partners had approached me about becoming their new senior corporate chef. And so, so I actually left the university um, about a year before the pandemic hit. So I was working corporately and I was a senior corporate chef for a big company in Oklahoma city. So it was one of those jobs. Like it was like, I'd worked 20 years to be even, to be able to even apply for that job. So when I got it, I kind of sat there like, oh my gosh, this really happened. Oh my word. Like I just got this really cool corporate job. Like I didn't even realize that this could happen in my life. Like, wow, I was kind of in shock. Right. <laughs> and so anyway, so that happened after the university and that allowed me to segue into where I was working from home, but I traveled a lot and I was leading um, some really fun projects with the company. In fact, right before the pandemic hit, I had just turned 40. I was feeling all like, you know, like sassy. You're in your yeah. prime. Everything's right? going great. I had just bought this beautiful home. I was like, very excited. Steven and I had moved into a new season of our life and things were going really well. I felt like everything was really good. The company was growing and we were doing all these fun things. And I literally put together a uh, conference out in Napa Valley, California for all these leaders. And so in February of 2020, I'm in Napa Valley with like leaders from all over the country in this cool conference that I had organized on creativity and innovation in our industry. There were certified master chefs there. There were people from Google. There were people from like all over the place. And I felt, oh my gosh, this is like, this is it. This is what I've been working my whole career for. And I just, it was like, I was on top of the world. And then I'm literally, um, on a conference call um, at my desk at my home office. And this is fast forward. This was February. And then the pandemic hit. I was in Seattle actually during like the hot spot time when everybody was like, here's all the, I'm like, oh crap, everybody's got COVID. Anyway, I was in Seattle when it all hit. And then a month later, I'm sitting at my home office hosting another big webinar with chefs. And I'm on a call with like a hundred chefs from industry. And I'm leading the conference call and I get a call from my vice president. And she comes on the phone and she says, um, she says, Chef Poe, she says, um, uh, I just got a call myself, but she said, I'm really sorry to inform you, but uh, we have to eliminate like your culinary team. Like we lost a huge chunk off our bottom line, like millions of dollars. Every restaurant in America closed last month with the pandemic. And I was literally on a conference call talking about how to navigate through the pandemic. And my and vice president- you were president getting laid said, off. Yeah. And she lays me off. And I'm like, you probably have no idea what I'm doing right now, do you? She's like, no, but your computer will turn off in about five minutes. And like, you'll need to ship us back your cell phone and your iPad and your computer and all these things. 
And I'm really sorry. Like, this is not something I chose, but I've been given like, they, so they laid off like tons of departments that day. It wasn't just me. Yeah. But I sat there and I got off the phone with her still all queued up on a webinar. And I just sat there and I was like, this can't be happening. Like I went back to all the other times in my life where I was like, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. And I sat there for a minute. I took like 30 seconds to myself and I was like, okay, God, this is either the best day of my life, or this is the worst day of my life. And I'm going to go with the first because I really don't have any other options. Right. Like I can't sit here and pout. So it's like, do I let myself be beaten by this unexpected? I mean, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? And a lot, I think it's very specific, you're either a person that will let yourself be ruled by the negative outcomes that are outside of your control, or you're going to be like, okay, so this happened to me. What aspect can I take control of to either mitigate what's happening or, or take control and not let it rule me? So So true. And all that that you just said flashed through my brain at the same time. Yeah. And, and some of the people I was on the phone call with Mercedes, I had known for 20 years. They were people who were my professors in the culinary school I went to in New York, who I now got to ba- invite back to do business with me 20 years later on the call with this company. And we had projects and plans. And so I'm like, I can either show up as Tiffany Poe and be the person that I've always chosen to be, like not, not always easily, but I've always made that decision to go ahead and be that person. Even in the background, I'm kind of screaming and crying and kicking yeah. and throwing a fit. I've decided to just go ahead and show up and smile and make it happen and choose to be that person. Or I can just slink away and not have the conversation. So I held the webinar. I didn't even mention the company. I was like, whatever. I'm like angry with you right now. Um, all my other stuff turned You're off. Like I am not promoting you. You just I'm right. I'm not promoting you today. You were you're on my poo list. Anyway, I held the webinar, and at the end, I told all the chefs. Um, at the end, I was like, well, this is the last project I'll be doing with this company. But because uh, I just got the phone call before the webinar was to lay me off. So I no longer have a job. But um, let me know how you all are doing. And hopefully we can do. Pro-. And they were all like, what? What did you just say? I was like, yeah, I'm pretty much like unemployed for the first time in 25 years. So um, if you guys have heard of anything, and I'm just kind of still in shock thinking if you guys hear of anything, let me know. And of course, they're all hoping they don't lose their job, too. Right. Yeah. And I turned my computer off and I just sat there and I was like, God, you know that I would have never quit on my own. So you're either setting me up for something so big that I, I can't even process it yet. Or you're just giving me some time off one of the two and either one I'm okay with or both. Um, but I'm just going to trust you. That's something that a lot of us kind of need to hold on to, like to be able to process that as something being done to you versus something that, you know, maybe it's an opportunity, a situation that you is just unexpected. And how are you going to walk through that door and accomplish it or take control of it? You know what I mean? Or find a way to benefit from it as opposed to going into the default of, well, like throwing up your arms, like, well, this, this happened and this is crappy. And like, you would need someone to tell you what to do next. Right. It's like, you can always pick to be the victim or the victor either way. (laughs) So now you have been laid off. You have now you have, have you had, you haven't had Solomon yet, right? Oh no. Like how many children do you have at home right now? Um, I have six at home. I had five at the time. And yeah. So you have five children at home. Mm -hmm. You have been laid off. 
I now, carried the benefits, the insurance, the 401k, everything for the family. We're in a um, pandemic, which is in like the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Other thing. We now, had just I, closed our bed and breakfast a month before. So we didn't have our, our entrepreneurial income because our bed and breakfast is in a micro tourism town that all functions around, you know, everything that's happening there that would be tourism and tourism yeah. shut down. Was shut down. So you're yeah. getting hit by losing a job. Your tourism industry is down. <laughs> right. Like you had a plate full of challenges. Yeah. Um, how, how did you get through the pandemic? Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I sat there at my computer and I was like, okay, like I, I trust you, God, this is crazy, but I trust you. And I shed a few tears. I'm not going to lie. And I said a few things that I probably shouldn't have said, but after the anger and the emotion drained, I had to go downstairs and tell my family and Steven was downstairs with the kids and everything. And I, and that was harder than being laid off because at first I was like, you can't lay me off. What do you think? Like, you know, like there was all those defense mechanisms, like you don't understand. Right. And then, then you realize, oh my gosh, it just happened. And then the, there's all these cycles. And I thought, I still have to go tell my family downstairs that I just lost my job and that our, we don't have insurance after next month. And we don't have all these other things. And like, I don't know what we're going to do. But then you start realizing like, wait a minute here. I am way more powerful than like what, what this one decision or this one circumstance is giving me. Like I've got some junk in my trunk, right? I've got some tools <laughs> to be able to like get through this. Like I'm going to have to get scrappy, but we're going to do it. So I just kind of mustered up the nerve and went downstairs and told the family. And I was like, I don't know what this means. I don't know where we're going, but here's the deal. We have never, we've never been left hanging. God has never left us high and dry. He's always provided and we're going to get through this. It's going to be great. So we kind of just said, you know what? That maybe what an opportunity to take some time off, to like relax, to like say, do we have to do all this stuff that the world tells us we have to do? Do we have to have all these things going? And do we have to have this happening? And do we have to be doing all these things in our spare time? And, and I, think, no. I think a lot of us end up in that kind of where you're automatically just kind of running that wheel. Mm -hmm. of this is what is expected of, of us within society. We're expected mm -hmm. to have this job. We're expected to do the same thing for a long, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. um, and we've also, I think, kind of been conditioned lately to have a fear of going outside of our comfort zones. Oh, so true. You know what I mean? Which, so true. and that fear will limit your, your abilities and your capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so for some of us, I like to think that unfortunately with this pandemic, we have been forced into having to kind of reassess what's normal, what's expected <laughs> and to kind of like, you know, redefine what is best and most fulfilling for us as individuals, as opposed to like what's normal and what's expected as a society or as a collective. Mm -hmm. um, it's true because the culture tells you one thing and then you're like, well, I don't necessarily want to be a part of that whole program because I don't like the results that they're getting. So how do I make my own decision and filter through the nonsense to get through something that would actually work for my family or would actually work like long-term? Like what are some timeless principles here that like we're missing? Because I feel like we throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? That's a country terminology, but it's it's true because we 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 throw everything out and we think we can create these new models, um, using old material. And it's like, sometimes you got to get rid of the old material and you really have to like start over and figure out what's valuable. You're so right. So yeah. Right. And it's def that is definitely a theme that I have been seeing cons consistently mm -hmm. over the last four or five years. And 
now it's just kind of like on this supercharged path, mm-hmm. uh, which is very, for me, it's really something that I'm always vocalizing like on my social media platforms and anything like that, you are no longer bound by what society tells you you need to do, especially as women. Mm -hmm. Um, And granted, I'm not of the belief that you can have it all without sacrificing one at some Mm -hmm. point. You know what I mean? And I think that's an unrealistic expectation, Mm -hmm. but we shouldn't be told like, this is where your most value is at. Mm -hmm by society. Like, I think that's really something that we can determine. We are totally capable of determining for ourselves. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And so that I'm very passionate about sharing that message, which is one of the reasons I even wanted to start this podcast was to interview other women Mm -hmm. that kind of like reckon, like, I don't care what you do. The point is, is that you do whatever fulfills you, not what is expected of you. Yeah. So yeah. And at this point, like now you are without a job. You've told your family, you have all of this going on. Uh, It's 2020. It's 2020. And I'm like, wait a minute. That alone, just by saying it's 2020, like everybody can fill in all the gaps of everything else that's going on during that time. And you guys get an idea. Well, we right. had to manage expectations, right? In 2020, we had this expectation it was going to be the best year of our lives. And then for most of us, it ended up being this psychotic roller coaster. And so you, when you're managing that expectation, you're like, okay, now what? Are we going up? Are we going down? So we just said, you know what? Peace, peace be still, right? This was kind of like, that was what we decided to say over that season was we were just going to step back for a second, put the world on pause and say, what now? And when you do that, a lot of magical things start happening in your life. Like when you stop and you say no to the cycle, to the hamster wheel, the rat race, the little gerbils, you know, thing that you're like you said, the societal expectations. When you say no, thank you. And you close that window. All of a sudden you're sitting by the fire, having a cup of coffee going, okay, what is life really meant to be about? And so for me, it was this almost like 20 years of go, 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 make it happen. Do this, get this degree, get this certification, follow this person, do this, take this opportunity. Like it was a busy 20 years. Like I looked back, I wrote out everything I did in 20 years and I spent some time reflecting and I was like in shock. I was like, oh my gosh, that was, that was crazy. I do not want the next 20 years to look like that. You know, I don't want the next thing that I do with my life and my time and my skills and my talents and all these babies, you know, I don't want that to look crazy. I want it to make sense. I want it to be meaningful. It's almost like you need to have, I think in society right now, we are so inundated with information, social Mm. media, just like this constant barrage of like being told things that Mm. it almost like numbs your mind to be able to, and then busy life in general, because everybody has a busy life. Mm -hmm. And it almost seems like the busier and the more packed your calendar and your schedule is, it's interpreted as being like the more successful you are or the more accomplished you are, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that was a time for everyone to just, we were forced to be quiet and kind of like be reflective because Mm -hmm. there was really nothing else that you could do. And so like, it's (laughs) an interesting perspective for you to share that if the pandemic hadn't happened, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't really have had an opportunity to like be quiet, you know what I mean? Or be still Mm -hmm. and kind of reflect on what is my next journey and like, what do I want my life to look like? Mm -hmm. So 
Because it's a fix. It's a fix that you get into. And we we were told that back in the 90s, the 80s and 90s when we were growing up, like that was the measure of success, right? How many things you could do or what you could be and all these all these parameters that were almost designed by somebody who who didn't get it anyway, right? I'm like, who designed this parameter? Like they obviously were not competent in in like true success, but they came up with this idea and then they sold it to us, you know, for a bill of goods. And you realize like, wait a minute, that didn't work super well. I'm unemployed and I'm sitting here and I have all these credentials and qualifications. And I did try to go back. I went ahead and I was like, well, maybe I should just go get another job, right? Like there's people hiring. And I probably interviewed with like 10 different people and everything felt like the same version of meatloaf. And it was like, you know, I could have went and worked for it. I love your analogy is like with food, the same version of meatloaf. (laughs) Right? It's like, well, everything's food in our brains, right? It's like, okay, this is every, every analogy, every parable involves food, Miss Amy. <laughs> so I did, I went back because I was like, I'm not going to be on unemployment. Like I'm not going to do this. And I'm a self-made woman, you know, and I had all these narratives in my brain and it was like something inside of me just said, calm down, have, have some peace, just rest. The word rest was like bubbling up inside of me. Every time I went, tried to like hit the wall and go and, and I was offered some opportunities, you know, it wasn't like I was just interviewing with no success. I interviewed and they would offer me the position and I would go to take it. And it was like, Oh, I almost wanted to throw up because I realized that it was going back to something that wasn't meant to be anymore. And so I kind of officially retired myself. Um, at the same time, the ACF, who's our culinary federation for the, the professional organization we're in, they gave me this award. And it was almost like the, the still small voice inside of me was like, it's okay. You, you've done what you set out to do. Like normally you receive this award when you're like super like old. <laughs> and so I was like, what is this? What are they trying to say to me? Like I was flattered, but I was also kind of like, I'm not done yet. You know, <laughs> like I, I, I felt like there was still more in me, but there was like everything in my life, everything that was coming at me in that quiet place was like, just relax. It's going to be fine. I have new things for you. And so as I got quiet, like you said, it was like, I started asking myself, what do you really want, Tiffany? Like, what do you really want in your heart? What have you said no to for yourself so many times so that you could be this person, so you could be this success matrix, or you could be Chef Poe, or you could make things happen or accomplish big projects, or you could design models, all these kind of like masculine, you know, objectives. What do you really want to do? Because you've had to make some sacrifices, like you said, over here to be able to be this person. So what does your heart really want? What does your spirit want? What does your soul want? And so I just took some time off. I took a true sabbatical and I, um, I just said, you know what, we, we got rid of some things we had that were burdensome financially. We sold some things. And I just said, you know what, such a time as this. And when I got quiet, the little things that came up, the little blossoms that bloomed in my soul were like, you know, if I'm being really honest, I really want one more baby. Like, you know, people tell you when you get older, they're like, oh, you can't do this. And everybody tries to tell you what to do with your children, right? Or or what? I go, oh, have you done this yet? Or have you done this? Or can you do this? Or whatever. And you're like, whoa, none of your business, right? None of your business, people. Like, It really is none of your business. <laughs> it really is none of your business. Like, thanks for coming. Um, we have a, you know, we have a, a, a treat for you on your way out. Don't fall. Uh, bye-bye. You know, so, so you have to get rid of all those other voices and then get true to like what you really want in your heart. And so we did, we are like, we're going to have one more baby. I don't care if I'm 40, I'm going to have another child. And of course then everybody comes out of the woodwork and they all, all the trolls have their opinions and, oh my gosh, yeah. you're too old, or you just had a C-section. You're not going to have a successful birth now. And, and just all these really cruddy things. And so we got really good in that season of just shutting out the nasty 
and the negative and those voices and just coming in and centering ourselves in a place of like faith and joy and happiness and life. And so we got pregnant with our, our seventh baby, Solomon, and his name means peace. It actually means shalom in the Hebrew. And I don't think that was on accident. You know, everything about his, his birth, his pregnancy to his birth to his now he's six months old. Every, this whole season has been an ushering of peace. And when you, when you usher in that peace in your life and you, you create space in that garden of your life for peace, new things start popping up that you would have never allowed to grow before. And I'm using the farming analogy because that's kind of where, where we're headed now is we just decided to put, when we got quiet as a couple, we put everything we owned on the market, like everything, the house that I thought I had to live in, you know, for the rest of my life. When I bought the house I'm living in now, I was like, I'm going to live here forever. This is like my dream home. Like so at this point, at this point, you have the bed and breakfast. You have the property that's next to the bed and breakfast. You have mm-hmm. bought a home in down in Tulsa, correct? In Tulsa, so that our little and- Israel could go to a school here called the Little Lighthouse. There was a big motive for us to move back to Tulsa because he had therapy and doctors and stuff. And so we would have stayed in Pahuska with the Pioneer. Yeah, but that home. is like an hour and a half drive. It's so- an hour and a half. We would have stayed there forever had Israel not come into our life. And so because he came into our life, we decided that like our best place was to be back somewhere where there was doctors and therapists and schools and things that he could really become who he needs to be. And so we moved to Tulsa specifically for him. And so, and then, so, and you also had some land, correct? Yes. Stephen was, was, um, had a property near Grand Lake. And so he had a farm that his grandpa gave him as a gift for taking care of him in his old age. And so we had all, we had collected all these properties. Like, I'm like, where did all these come from? So now I want to know what I want to know is you're in the midst, like you've gone through all this, you've been laid off. We're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, I'm assuming that you're, you guys are using those properties up in Pahuska help you get through the pan. Cause once everything started to reopen and stuff like that, they were able Mm -hmm. to be rented out. Yeah. It was a slow, slow move back, but it's, you know, eventually everybody started coming out of their caves and everything was like, okay, I think we're going to be able to make it. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I think I can come out now. Right. You I remember when I got the announcement that you guys were starting this new project and this is, you know, I want to give you, cause you know, we're kind of getting towards the end, but this was all like the buildup, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause I'm just so impressed with during this time, like we all have had the experiences of the pandemic. Like that is something that we have had collectively, mm-hmm. but how we have dealt with those challenges is very individual. Not only like how you deal with the challenges that were caused by the pandemic, but you know, how you deal with the pandemic itself. It's all an individual story. Mm-hmm. And it was very important to me. Like I wanted you to share your story partly and kind of sharing how you processed everything to, you know, maybe inspire someone else to venture into whatever their dream might be. Cause if anything, there is an opportunity right now to do that. And then I remember I, so after all of this is going on in the midst of all of this is going on, you announced this project, which I was like, where are her batteries? (laughs) Like like this, she just, this family, and it's not just you because Steven is a huge part of this. He's a huge supporter. He's the impressive one. Yeah. Like (laughs) exactly. It's like, you guys are really a team and you've come together for this project. And since we're kind of coming to the end, I really want to give you an opportunity to share that project because I was like, what? 
what, what are they doing? <laughs> well, the best things come out of like crazyville, right? I mean, when you get quiet and you start going, okay, what now? Like, what is the real purpose behind all of this? Because sometimes that fix that high is so overwhelming that you can't get, you can't get to the root of the problem. And I think so many things that are happening right now in our world are because people aren't dealing with the root problem or because they don't want to address the root problem, right? Or everything happens in that sphere. Like we see it, but it's really happening in our heart, but it's really happening much deeper than that. And then we don't want to acknowledge it because we don't ever want to talk about the ooey gooey stuff, right? We don't want yeah, to talk the about stuff the stuff that makes you lava. uncomfortable. The it makes that people makes- uncomfortable, but yeah. it's like, you know, it's like, that's the real, that's the real conversation. And then when you start having those conversations, you don't want to have the other conversations anymore. You don't want to talk about what Susie Joe, you know, wore yesterday. You want to talk about what's going on in your heart, right? What, yeah. What's happening under the surface. And those are the meaningful conversations. And so we were down in the Ozarks, down in Branson. That's where we had always gone to heal, right? You heal in different ways when you go through crazy stuff in life. And for us, it's about getting quiet and about just enjoying nature and getting outside and all those wonderful things that are that are just really, really healing to your soul. So we were down in Branson uh, one weekend, and this was before the baby. This was before anything. And I'm just sitting there quietly in this little place that we go. And this piece of property had been for sale for four years. Like we had looked at it. We just didn't show up and say, oh, let's buy this. This sounds fun. We'd been drooling over this piece of property for like a serious like amount of time. And one of those situations like, oh, maybe someday when we're like in our 50s or 60s, we'll move down here and retire. Or, you know, those kind of thoughts that you, you know, yeah. you satiate your dreams, right? <laughs> And you tell yourself, oh, someday when I'm not super busy over here. Well, all those excuses were gone. And we were sitting there and it it literally came from a prayer. It came from, I'm watching Israel crawl up this slide. And he had only started walking like a couple months before that. But then when he started walking, he like turned into, you know, terror on wheels. And so he's crawling up this slide and sliding down and going over it again and again. I'm just sitting there in the grass watching him. And it kind of came from this prayer, like, God, thank you so much, you know, for, for Israel and for his life and for getting to watch him grow up and become this super cool human. Is there anything that I can do to say thank you? You know, like when someone buys you a gift or something, you're like, oh, thank you. But is there any, can I make you dinner? Like, can I just do something to show you my gratitude? Right. Especially in hospitality, we're like people of like reciprocating gratitude people. So I kind of just was like, God, can I make you dinner? Like, you know, what do you offer to God? Right. Other than your, your humble, like, thank you. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, is there anything that you want me to do? Or is there anything I can do for you? And without hesitation, like it was like a download from the internet, like a big stinking file from the internet downloaded into my computer on my desktop. And he downloaded this vision and it just came like a flood. It was like I was under a waterfall and it was just, it was overwhelming. I began to cry and I'm not a crier. Like I'm a crier. No, I know. I know. know, I mean, we're both not criers. Like like, I don't have time for it. I don't have time to cry. (laughs) There's no tears in the kitchen. Like suck it up girl. So I'm crying like a small child. And I'm like, this is too much. Like I can't, this is overwhelming. So I shared it with Steven. And basically the idea was that the property next door that we had been looking at would become ours and that we would establish this therapy farm for kids with special needs. And that there would be a place for parents like us who had walked through loss to come in and heal. And that we would get to share this place that, this beautiful piece of property with other people. Like for the first time in our lives, we built these businesses for ourselves and we had done all these things, but it, it was always, you know, with somebody, you know, to make money and to, to provide for our family. So what if we did something that was like bigger than ourselves, like that we could 
bring other people in and we could share and we could like really make an impact in other people's lives. And that's the kind of cool stuff that comes when you start going, wait a minute, I no longer have all these other ambitions. What could I do instead? Like you, you know, could focus I... your energy on something that is yes. much more like close to you that yes. you have value and you can, and that supports the values that you want to, you know, put out into the world. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember I got the notification. and what is it called? Uh, what's the name of it? So the property we bought is on this little road over in, it's just South of Springfield, Missouri, North of Branson. It's in a beautiful part of the Ozarks called Saddlebrook. And it's literally in the middle of the Mark Twain National Forest. Like it could not be in the more, a more beautiful spot on planet earth, but it's called the little road that went up to the property was called Legacy Farm Road. And when the realtor took us up to go on it on this like ATV thing, because it's a wilderness property, I was like, that's it. Oh my gosh, that's it. It's supposed to be called Legacy Farms. And that's, that was kind of the word legacy just resonated. And so as I came home and flushed it all out on Canva, I was like, oh my gosh, this is really going to be bigger. And I don't even remember what I put on the, on the proposal, but we went through the process. We ended up getting the property kind of supernaturally. The moment we put an offer in on it, um, 25 other people tried to buy it like out from underneath us. And like, you're like, back like off. right. You're like, you know, you're onto something when other people start coming after your dream, you know? So, so anyway, it, it, that was a year ago. And so we own the property now we've sold some of our properties. We're on, we're on track to sell other ones and we're moving down there to establish this farm. So we're going to live off the land. We're going to turn it into this, um, this place where families can come and heal. And I think that after the season we walked through, and of course the other seasons prior to that, prior to the pandemic, um, it's almost, it's overwhelming to think that how something that was meant to be so damaging to someone's life, like where you could lose everything you'd worked for, for 20 years, yeah. you, you know, you're no, no, this, no, now nothing that the world says you have to have and you lose it all. And then all of a sudden God says, actually, I've got something even better in store for you. Like, I'm going to take you and Stevens, both your passions, and I'm going to put them into something that you can highlight and minister to other people that, um, that have walked through similar things. And so we're super excited. We're living in Crazyville because we're like, okay, like let's just sell our house and buy a camper and get out there and start doing it. Like let's yeah. just start, you know, making I mean, it Obe, my so, husband and I, Obed and I have had, you know, the same, you know, similar discussions, you know, yes. and I think that's just really an example of not only resilient resiliency, but just mm-hmm. like self-reliance, you know, where it's like, mm-hmm. it's this position that you take of, I'm going to maintain and have control of as much of my life as possible and Mm -hmm. make sure that I don't have any dependencies on large corporations or the government or these external entities that Mm -hmm. if they're providing for me can be taken away the next day. Yeah, You know what I mean? In a moment. Yeah. Without you, you're like, you're going along your life and then all of a sudden it's gone because it is actually somebody else's. It is not yours. So true. Um, so so true. I just, you know, I am so excited for you guys and your family and this project. And is there any way that people can learn more about it, support it? Say you have an Instagram for Legacy Farms, yes, is that correct? Legacy Farms of the Ozarks. So that's, there's a lot of Legacy Farms out there as I've been researching, but they're in other states. So we are Legacy Farms of the Ozarks. 
And we are located just south of Springfield, Missouri, just north of Branson in the community of Saddlebrook. And so uh, that's where we will physically be, but we will also be kind of going on the road. We're, we're going to do a different take on the nonprofit where we're going to kind of, because we're entrepreneurial, we don't always want to be asking for money. So since you do have to ask for money when you're nonprofit, we're still going to be doing things that are entrepreneurial to be able to, to raise that money. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. So it'll be a Well, then I would seriously recommend that anyone who wants to follow Tiffany's journey to follow Legacy Farms at, of the Ozarks on Instagram. Yes. And also what is your Tiffany Poe, Chef Poe handle on Instagram? I am at Tiffany Poe, just plain, simple Tiffany Poe um, on Instagram. Okay. And, and so you I can would... follow us there as well. Yeah, follow her there and kind of follow her along in this journey. And um, I am so glad that you spent some time to hang out with me. When I wanted to start this podcast, I was like making a list, you know, because like nobody knows my podcast from Joe Schmo yet, you know, so I'm approaching yeah. people that I think have interesting conversations or interesting stories, I should say. And you definitely, yeah. you were like in like popped. I was like, I got to talk to Tiffany because she's just oh. got the full package. And I really think that your message will resonate with, with this audience, the expected audience that I have. I love so, it. Well, and I'm yeah. excited to hear more of your content. It's always exciting. And I, I want to do more things, obviously with like promotion and stuff. It's, it's kind of like, okay, what do you do when you, when you start a new endeavor, you're like, okay, what to do? So I like, where do I start? Right, right. Where do I start? <laughs> and with your podcast, I think it's going to touch a lot of people. And I think there's going to be, there needs to be some new podcasts with some new genres and some new conversation, because the more and more I'm, I'm listening to what's happening, a lot of the rhetoric sounds the same. And it's like, wait a minute, this is not representative of us all. So I think that you are doing an incredible thing with this. And I can't wait to hear more. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much. Now, we will be open to the public too. So that'll be exciting when we get things rocking down there. We're going to have a farm stand. We'll have like animals and there'll be walking trails and things. So it won't just be a nonprofit for like families that, you know, are in the healing season, but it will be like it open to the public as well. So it'll be exciting. That's awesome. Well, make sure that you follow Tiffany on at Legacy Farms of the Ozarks and at Tiffany Poe on Instagram if you want to follow her journey. Thanks so much for listening to It's Miss Sadie, honest conversations for freedom-minded women. You can find the show notes for this episode at Liberta Sisters forward slash It's Miss Sadie. And if you would like to have conversations like this with other freedom-minded women, visit my website, libertasisters.com, an online community of women founded on the values of femininity, self-reliance, and freedom. You can also connect with me on Instagram at itsmissady or join my email list. And if you're loving the podcast, I would be so honored if you would go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave me a five-star review. Until next time, stay free and stay honest.